Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hey, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today, I'm going to attempt to say her name properly, but I don't know if I'll do it. Anita Breda. Anita, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah she's with a company, a CEO and co-founder of a company called Iris. Their website is iris.ai, I-R-I-S.ai. So Anita, uh, can you tell listeners what Iris does? Yeah, so our, our ultimate goal is to build an AI researcher, as in an AI system that can take a, a problem statement or a research question, go out and scout all existing literature in the world, all patents, etc., uh, create new knowledge on top of that knowledge, go test it in a simulation environment, and then come back to the human. So an AI researcher. Um, but that's our, our 10-year wow. plan, and uh, we, of course, have a smaller starting point than that. That's extremely ambitious. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe it's it's obvious, but I still would like to know, why would that be of use to people if you had a machine that, um, is it interpreting and reading all these papers or is it just gathering them all in one place? You know, research papers, patents, et cetera. Right. So it's, it's reading them and understanding them. Um, and, and the backdrop for it is, you know, there's about 150 million or so research papers in the world. Uh, we publish 3,000 new ones in, in science, technology, medicine every single day. I mean, the, the knowledge we have is growing at an exponential rate. There's so much solid and, and vital information published. And, and obviously, you know, you know, we believe that if one human can sit down and read all of this, uh, we would solve a lot of problems on the spot, whether it's related to, you know, something as big as climate change or, or kind of smaller problems of how to... I don't know, get materials light enough that they can, you know, you can uh, build a self-driving car, you know, wh- whatever it is, right? All of these, all of these challenges that we're, we're trying to solve, you know, most of that information is already out there. Uh, but it's, it's in combination that it becomes very powerful in kind of the convergence between multiple research fields, um, you know, a variety of different information sources. And that's what we're trying to, to solve. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, imagine... <laughs> If you were to go to a doctor, you know, for diabetes and the doctor could partner with a, an AI that has read, you know, 100,000 diabetes research papers and you know, the doctor could tell the AI the symptoms and the, the AI could say, based on my research, you know, it, and it would um, undoubtedly it would find things that the doctor never knew about or just couldn't have time to research is my guess. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's the goal. And, and, you know, there's, there's so much exciting stuff happening, both from, from us and from, you know, from a variety of others, too, both in the medical field, but also in, in other places. I mean, so we're working with a lot of R&D departments, you know, doing anything from like chemicals to, um, you know, composite materials, material sciences, automotive engineering, aer- you know, aerospace engineering, et cetera, which is kind of in one way less, uh, I, I guess, like, like less sexy in a way than like the medical field. But still, you know, the, the amount of time that is just wasted and the amount of human brain power that is wasted on manual labor today and just like sitting and reading through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of papers trying to find like what what is really relevant? What should I really be doing? What do we already know? Um, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's incredible. And, and 
the ability to kind of remove the manual part of that and really just use the humans to to actually implement it and understand it and build it rather than having that kind of massive, uh, yeah, really waste of man hours. How do you, I mean, how do you even start? How, how did you, um, so you conceived of this and then I, without getting too technical, how does uh, an AI work first have to be able to do NLP, the natural language processing to read anything or what, what's the sequence of events? Yeah. So, so the tool that we have today, which is, uh, we have a, a version of it live on our website and then we have a premium version that we use with, with R and D departments as well. Um, and that tool today is um, basically the, the key problems that we're solving is the fact that keywords, they're great if you know what you're looking for, but the moment you're doing cross-disciplinary research, you're not a domain expert, keyword limits you to what you already know, which is limited. Um, there's also this these uh, the citation system when it comes to academic published papers. It's, it's how you navigate today, but um, less than 15% of citations are actually related to the problem in the paper. Um, so that's just a very biased really? system. Uh, yeah, it's true. Anyway, it's, it's a very, very biased system. You, it's very much based on who, who you know and who knows you and uh, you know a number of other things. It's great for like researcher graphs, but not for actually finding solutions to problems. Wait a minute, but why why would someone make a citation in a paper if it wasn't relevant to the subject at hand? Are they doing it to make sure that you know so and so is recognized and they feel good for their ego and not for a science purpose? Yep, <laughs> pretty much. Well, there's a number of reasons, but yeah, that's part of it. You know, you there are certain you know big shot professors that you have to cite to get into the right conferences. There's certain really? background material. Yeah, 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 that's how it is. So. So using that to navigate to actually solve a problem just doesn't cut it. Um, That's interesting. So that makes it, you know, poor humans. I mean, you get to sit there and read these papers, which is not easy, especially for no. the lay and for the lay person. That's impossible, by the way. Um, exactly. Exactly. And then eighty-five percent of the places to go look for more information, which takes effort or dead ends, you say. Yep. That's that, wow. That's amazing. I didn't realize the problem looked like this. Huh. No, no, and it, it is, and, and then to top it off, it's like 150 million of these that you know you need to navigate, and um, yeah, so so that's kind of uh, kind of the the problem that we're or the, the specific problem that we're solving today, and we built a tool where we um, I won't go into too many technical details perhaps, but we you input you give one text to the tool to read, so one problem description, for example, like here's here's the problem I'm trying to solve. I need to make this material 20% lighter, but as strong. And the challenge today is that, and you, you just explain in your own words what problem you're trying to solve. Um, you give that text to the tool to read. We um, extract the most important words from the text. Then we work with contextual synonyms. We work with, with something called uh, hypernyms or, or topic-related words. And these are all kind of neural network algorithms. And we use that to form a fingerprint of this document or this text that you gave us. And then we go out and scout all of the research that we have uh, available. Right now, we're connected to an open access database of about 77 million or so articles. And then we go out and do essentially a fingerprint matching to find those documents that have the, you know, that are most similar to the problem that you are describing. And this is entirely cross-disciplinary, and we don't rely on any kind of human-made taxonomies or ontologies or, or descriptions. Hmm. Um, we just go on the text of the actual paper and the content. Uh, and then we present this back to the, the user in a very visual format where you have this in it's hard to explain over, <laughs> over over audio only, but you can check it out on the website. It kind of it's a, it's called a Voronoi graph. It kind of almost looks like a turtle shell of like 
here are the main concepts or the main topics, and then we distribute all of these related papers into different topics. So you can very easily figure out like these 10, 10 papers falls into that topic. These other papers here falls into this topic. So you can very easily see what's relevant to what you're looking for and not. You get this far broader overview um, of what you're doing. And, uh, and we've tested this over a number of occasions where we actually have teams compete against each other uh, in solving a scientific challenge or an R&D challenge. Uh, where some of the teams get to use IRIS and some don't, and we see a consistently wow. consistent outperformance of of the the IRIS teams over over the teams that don't. So it's a it's a new when way of doing it. But, um, yeah. That's cool. When you when you say outperformance, you mean they can um, solve the task faster, or they come up with a better solution, or you know, and, and give me some metrics like how much better, how much faster. Um, so so we've run a few, a few different experiments. Um, essentially, if you're if you're if the two teams are kind of not domain expert, let's say master PhD students in an area, a team using IRIS can as much as twice outperform the team not using IRIS, and that is measured on key papers found, so like spot on surprisingly good papers. It is based on the structure of their findings, like how how good overview do they have of the fields or fields, um, and finally a conclusion at the end. So they get a research question in the beginning. Um, and then at the end, they deliver a report with like, here are the papers we found, here are the ones that are specifically interesting, and here's our overall conclusion on either what direction the research should be going in or what research we can actually apply to solve the problem. Oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things that came to mind is you said, um, and I understand this, so if you're in a given subject, let's say I'm going to study children. Yep. So I can say kids, children, little ones. Kindergartners, youth. Kindergartner, yeah, exactly, exactly. So normally the human has to know that all these are synonyms or hominyms, you know, whatever they are. But you're saying you deliberately made the system so that based on what's in, it creates its own graph, essentially, of what synonyms for a certain thing would be and what uh, related terms are that people don't have to look for? Exactly. And and not just synonyms in general, because then you, you could just use a synonym dictionary, but contextual synonyms. So if you use child in this context, um, a synonym might be used, um, but it might also not be in this situation, right? Let's say that you use huh. child, and in the context, we understand that child in this context means, say, infant and not used, because those would be two different things in some contexts, while in other contexts, they would not be two different things. Uh, if yeah. that makes sense. So we, so we look at the context and we can do that by this uh, word embedding approach where we, we've trained the model on, on you know, millions of other research papers where we uh, basically have the tool guess. Um, we, we give it a string of 11 words and it guesses the word in the middle again and again and again for 11 words in a row. And we kind of move one, one word to the right, it guesses again. One word to the right, it guesses again through millions of documents. And over time, it creates a massive graph of in this context, here are two words I, based on my experience as this machine, would would use interchangeably. Thus, they are contextual synonyms. So we know how far away from each other in the vector space they are. All right, I'm going to really test you here. How about papers in different languages? Have you gotten Irish right. to the point where it could read papers on diabetes in French and Russian and German and assimilate all of them? 
Um, so not yet. We're just we're just a year and a half old. Um, but but no. So so we we started with English because that that is actually about seventy percent of research papers are published in English. However, because of the way we do this, um, so so there's kind of a couple of approaches that you could take in understanding language. Uh, one of them is the the kind of the the semantic uh, linguistical model where you need to understand sentence structure. Like you need to understand when when there is a you know a period or a comma. What does that mean? You know you know et, et cetera et cetera. You need to kind of understand the full language. And and if you do that approach, um, then you need to you know. Translating to a new language is very tricky. The approach we're taking, however, we don't really care about. I mean, we call it a not. It's called a non-semantic approach. Basically, we don't really care when a sentence starts and ends. We do work with stop words and things like that, but but we don't need the full understanding of the language. Which means that um, all we really need is a database of um, you know content in that language that we're translating to or that we're we're lear- learning. Uh, and then the machine will learn that language very, very quickly. So all kind of Latin and Germanic languages is, is very, very easy to to adapt to. We just need the right kind of, I guess, commercial incentive, for lack of a better word, um, to do that. That's amazing. I mean, this tool is like insanely powerful already, and it's going to get even more so when you uh, make that bridge. Because you know, I heard an interview, for instance, with um, Tim Ferriss, and he was had this guy Charles Poliquin on it, and he's really into fitness, and he said, you know, he reads scientific papers on fitness and luckily he speaks, I don't know, four or five languages. So he would read the papers in different languages and he got a lot more information than regular people would because he was able to go into that realm. And he saw yeah. like the the French had this way of deadlifting and they called it something else and he could you know anyway, that's why I bring it up. That that's yep. amazing. No, it, it is and it it will be important as well. We're also looking at Chinese. Um, to see what we can do there. Obviously, there will be some different, um, you know, barriers to that language, but like there's so much interesting research coming out in China as well. So so I think that's going to be vital wow. going forward too. What about um, going beyond scientific papers and maybe a generic Google search or, you know, can regular people use this to research things that they want to research? You know, because like, let's say, again, I have uh, diabetes and I want to read about it and learn more about it. Even if Iris brings up all these scientific papers on it, it's still going to be hard for me as a layperson to absorb all that. So I'd like it to, you know, grab anything related to diabetes and distill it and put me in a, help me figure out something. You know, like um, let's say I'm diabetic and um, I have this particular symptom. You know, my eyes are turning yellow or something, and I want to know specifically about that. Are you going to? Is this tool going to morph into something that regular people can use so they can understand and use the, the power of this tool to gather information? Right. So we're seeing, as I mentioned, with the, with these kind of measuring of the of the output of the results, we're seeing a, a, to a small degree a, a kind of de-skill uh, or, you know, that, that it requires less uh, in-depth domain experience to navigate the research. Um so, so there's a certain element of that. We also have one of our one of our users of the free tool is actually this, this chocolate factory that does not have an R and D department whatsoever. And he's like, he he told us that he wanted to, you know, he really wanted to make a sustainable and more healthy product line of his chocolate, but he didn't have an R and D department. And trying to figure out things online was really tricky. So then he and he stumbled across our tool and actually used that to take a scientific approach to kind of R and D enable himself 
um, to, you know, uh, to to make a more you know better product line. However, obviously he he knows how to build chocolate, how how to make chocolate already, right? So he has prior experience. Um, so it will be a certain degree of that. But you know our goal is not to be, uh, let's say, a Wikipedia of of you know of scientific content or something like that. Our goal is more working with people who who are working in R and D research institutes. Um, or people, individuals who, who have a really important problem that they want to solve, but that have the, the time and the dedication to actually sit down and properly understand it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we're ever, you know, I don't think we're going to get to a point where, you know, while we can discuss universities and their role and the five-year degree at length and whether that's the right, you know, approach, I still think we need, we need skilled labor to solve these really uh, tricky problems, but that doesn't mean you have to have a, a PhD or be a professor to do so. Does that makes sense. It's, 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 the, the answer lies somewhere in between. You have to have the dedication and the drive and the basic uh, skill set or or general knowledge to be able to sit down and properly dig into it. Um, but but there is a certain you know de-skilling involved in what we do for sure. Yeah, no, it makes sense. You know, if I had a like the chocolate example, so if I was that guy. Right, I know about chocolate and everything. And if I had a scientist that worked with me that knew about the chemistry of chocolate and the science of it, that would probably be a perfect match. Then I could have him use the tool and he'd be able to understand it all and then translate it back to my application. Right, exactly. And in, in this case, the guy doing it, he, you know, he had the skill level enough to kind of figure it out on his own as well. So he didn't, he didn't need to hire the scientist, but, uh, but he still had experience from the field he was working in. This is amazing. Wow. Are you going to be expanding it perhaps to the legal field for legal research or is it, I mean, science is huge. I know. Yeah. I guess no, I'm no, so, <laughs> running, running yeah. you down the track too fast, but I'm excited. No, no, no. So, so, so the R and D field is, is huge, like large enough as a market and a field. And we work cross disciplinary. Uh, we're better at the harder sciences uh, than the social sciences for now. Um, there is definitely kind of alternatives in terms of spin-offs and, and taking the core tech into different fields. But for us, what we're what we're working on is this AI scientist. And and you know, again, so what we're the next kind of few steps for us if just to show you how we're thinking about it is um, there's something called a systematic mapping study in the academic world, which is basically a very systematic approach to say, here's ten thousand papers that falls into a topic. Now I'm gonna focus in and find exactly the, you know, the 500 papers I need to read to solve this problem I've described here. Um, this is something that takes three to six months in the academic world, and you need to be kind of an associate professor or professor to do it. Um, what we're seeing, and this is in our R&D right now, is that we can narrow down the scope of that and actually get that down to about, say, a month's worth of work. And even more important, we can bring that semi-automation into industry, which means you know, in a, your average kind of R&D department or research institute, we can get a process that today is like a four-week process, very ad hoc, oh. not really a good, you know, not really a confident, uh, you know, outcome that they, they don't really believe that they have covered everything. And uh, we can take that down to two days. Uh, and when a research institute do like 4,000 of these projects every year, suddenly we're talking hundreds of thousands of man hours that we can um, semi-automate and that can... Um, that can, you know, use their time to do more important stuff than doing searches. Um, so that's kind of what we're, what we're, what we have in our R and D pipeline. And but this is very kind of specific to to research R and D. Um, and we believe that there is there is plenty to be done and worked with in in this field. So we're not 
too concerned with other fields. But with that said, we do have um, lawyers, uh, legal departments that have connect, you know, contacted us as well. But we're a very kind of impact vision driven company. So, you know, our ultimate goal is this AI researcher. And that is that is what we're going to be working towards. Are you going to be, yeah, I mean, so you being contacted, are you going to license or have an API for your tool where um, people that want to use it for other applications can use it? Yes, we will. It's probably going to be a, a year or two until we get there to, to actually open it up to other use cases, but yes. And if if I'm doing a uh, a search and I get, can I add manually, can I add in manually documents to um, that I want to use in my search as I do it? Um, if you are a premium user or client, yes. Uh, so right now, when you do it uh, as a free user, you can input one research paper, and you find from this database of, of 77 million research papers is, is the results that you get. Um, for our premium um, kind of clients and users, you can use any text for input. So you can write out your own problem statement, description, huh. document, copy-paste from wherever. And we can also connect the tool to, say, you're a large R&D department, we can connect the tool to your internal content, uh, we can connect it to, um, say, trade magazines in another uh, database or, you know, patents, potentially, whatever whatever other material you need to be navigating as well. Wow. What, um, yeah, what's the pricing and the uh, commitment on the premium level? <laughs> um, well, it is, it is kind of an enterprise model, and we're still on the pilot stage with it, so we're we don't have a, a set pricing that I'm able to share at this moment, but um, anyone interested can, of course, uh, contact us and we can have a chat about it. But it will be, you know, on the basis of usage and number of people. And there's no, there's no, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward uh, setup. Okay. Very interesting. Hey, how hard was this to do? I mean, this seems like uh, kind of like the Holy Grail. I mean, how were you able to do this <laughs> in such a short period of time? Because uh, we have a rock star CTO and a rock star team behind him, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it, so so some of this is, is our proprietary um, proprietary technology, um, and and you know, but parts of like I think a lot of AI, not just for us, but for a lot of companies right now, is taking things that are already kind of known and applying it in the right way to the right problem. Um, and it's, it, it takes time. And actually, one of the things that are most time consuming, because it's not that our algorithms are, I mean, they're, they're, they're great. They work. We have, you know, a couple we've developed ourselves and, and a couple that we've found in research because, you know, obviously we, we make a tool that we can use ourselves as well. Um, and, but, but actually, most of the hard, the really hard work comes into the tuning, the tuning of the hyperparameters, setting up the right data models. I mean, it's just, it just takes a lot of manual time and effort. And that's the point where kind of AI machine learning almost becomes art in a way. I mean, mathematical art, if you like, where it's, it's not just about like, you know, applying this one algorithm and you get this one answer, but there's so much fine tuning involved. Um, you know, how long should, how long should the text be? How long should the sentences, how, you know, th there's just so many, mm. so many aspects of it that needs to be fine tuned. Um, so that's kind of the, the trickiest part. And you just need really, really smart driven people that are have the, the patience and the willingness to really dig into this. And of course, then on the other hand, you know, there's any, you know, the same, same challenges that any startup faces about, you know, getting funding, getting clients, convincing them that the tool is, is working the way we say it will. And, you know, a variety of challenges like that. But uh, now on the tech side, we have a, a really, really solid tech team that we're very proud of. Okay. Well, very good. Um, last couple of questions. So if, yep. if, when I'm using your product, 
how, what are the right ways to do it where it'll work well for me? And what are ways that, you know, I can un- unintentionally make it harder or the results not effective? Any advice that had a, I yeah. would guess the input data is the most critical, forming a right problem statement, et cetera. Right. And, and I, think, I think one of the problems that, or challenges that we're seeing is that, so research is a process, right? And it's a, it's a lengthy process. So what we see is that, you know, and we see that quite a bit with someone like popping into our tool, putting in one paper, getting some results, and then like, yeah, and then they leave, right? Um, in order to, you know, really see that the tool works, you have to, you know, actually start with a problem that you actually want a solution to, and then sit down with a tool for a number of hours. Uh, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, putting up a CRM system. You kind of have to go through a whole sales cycle to properly verify that this is a good system, if that makes sense. Or, you know, take our, our word for it, of course. Um, but we've had, we've had a, a, you know, a bit of that where people go in and they don't really have a problem to solve. They just like put a random piece of text into the tool and then see that there's something on the other side. But then it's really hard to grasp value of it because R&D or research is a very distinct process that goes over, you know, in our case, I'd say that at least, you know, three, four, five hours is kind of the minimum you have to kind of properly spend using the tool to solve a problem. And that's when you see the the, the real benefit of it. What if, um, how many of these papers are behind the paywall where you can't get them unless you pay for the service? I mean, what do you do there? So, so the the ones that you have access to with the, the free tool right now, um, there those are it's 77 million papers, uh, and they are all open access. Um, so you have okay. access to the to, to the full text of most of those papers, um, and you have you have access to them. Um, so, and what we found actually is, is open access have like a little varied reputation, but we found actually that in these, as I said, these competitions where teams are using our tool versus not, actually we found that there's there's no significant difference in what, you know, because the, the teams that are not using our tool, they're actually using tools that also have access to paywall content um, that where they have access. And we don't really see a difference, difference in performance there. So the teams using our tool are able to find really good papers that are really spot on and interesting, even if it's mainly open access. Hmm. Okay. You know, I just had a lot of questions about it. I'm sorry. It's so interesting. <laughs> no worries. I've seen the representation of the search result, the tortoise shell you're talking about. And then you click yeah. on one of the, you know, octagons or hexagons of the tortoise shell, and then you, you drill down and it, it goes yeah. into that topic. It shows you a new tortoise shell. Yeah. Are you going to have a system where it has essentially arrows on the tortoise shell map or highlights that show you look here first, and this path is the most likely to answer your question versus showing me a tortoise shell map of 30 things, and I may still go down rabbit holes. Are you right. going to guide people even more, or do they not need it? So in terms of your um, original inputted text, uh, the most relevant results to you will be in the upper left corner, and that's kind of where it starts. And then it moves diagonally kind of down the tortoise shell. Uh, this will not make sense to anyone who's not seen the map. But so we start in the upper left corner, and it, it's also uh, represented by size. So the larger the concept, the more interesting content is in there. Um, however, it also depends what you're looking for, and and that's where we're not brain. You know, we we can't read your mind yet, and that's why we're working on this thing. So 
So the, the way, you know, right now the tool kind of expands outwards to help you find more in more categories and, and you know, going down the rabbit hole, if you like, and kind of expanding your, your worldview or your knowledge of the field. And then, as I said, this next tool that we're working on will kind of come after this, which is where you narrow it back down. And that will be an iterative process between you and the tool where the tool asks you, you know, can you give me, you know, a certain number of keywords that you want to exclude? Like, if you're looking for autonomous vehicles or like self-driving cars, you might not you might be specific, specifically not interested in things that go in air or underwater. And you tell that to the tool, the tool goes, okay, well then I'll exclude all of those for you. And then you have this kind of almost almost dialogue. It won't it won't ne- it won't necessarily be a dialogue in, in in the UX, but you have this back and forth, and that's where we you know narrow it down again for you. Okay, great, great. Um, What's your roadmap, just timeline-wise? You said, oh, you gave a couple hints, but if you can, just just restate some of the uh, upcoming features and when they're going to come out, and then we'll, you know, we'll ask, we'll ask you for contact information and close from there. Yeah. So, so as a you know, current tool um, available commercially and and the free version, uh, this system semi-automation of the systematic mapping study or or the focus tool, let's call it that. Will be uh, will be piloted this fall, so we have the prototype ready in say September or October. Uh, there's still some some finalizing of the R and D there. Um, and then uh, if we look a little bit further ahead, I, I can't tell you too much of the the upcoming things after that. But uh, but in that kind of two year perspective, uh, we should have more of a um, a um, kind of what we call a, a proactive science assistant. So more of a you know, a hypothesis builder, uh, if that's a, a term I can use, like a, a tool that will actually suggest to you, hey, I found these five papers here that says this, you know, X, and I found these other three papers here that says that says Y. And then if you put that together, doesn't that mean that? And actually will suggest a new hypothesis for you um, kind of proactively. And that's, that's, you know, a couple of years, in, uh, two to three years into the future. Um, and actually then building new knowledge off of existing knowledge. And then moving from there, a system that more and more autonomously can do this uh, on its own and, you know, verify those hypotheses in, in a simulation environment or a robotic lab as well. That's a, you wow. know, seven, eight years from now. Okay. Well, all right. So last question, how can um, people start engaging with your platform and using it? Um, so obviously, if, if you know whoever's listening has a, an R and D team that would love to to reduce all of that ridiculous manual labor, they can um, you know shoot us an email and uh, and you know we can we can discuss how how we can make the tool available for them. Uh, we also have for individuals who are just really excited about what we do. We do have an AI training community where we ask for people's help uh, to uh, to train the tool. Uh, and obviously, I mean, we 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 do release uh, most of our features in the in the free tool as well. So free tool users can sign up as AI trainers and help us create these um, annotated data sets of of um, of the research papers uh, in the system that helps the machine actually learn uh, properly these contextual synonyms and and hypernyms, et cetera. So AI trainers are also very very welcome, and there are absolute rock stars. And actually, the we just published a research paper earlier this week, and and that research paper is based on uh, a lot of the input we got from the AI trainers and the data sets from that. So they're they're the true rock stars of this as well. Well, very cool, Anita. Thanks for coming, and uh, you've done an awesome thing. It's a really cool tool, and uh, as long as it doesn't destroy the world and get rid of mankind, <laughs> I think it's a great thing you've done. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 